Well, today as we look into the Word of God together, continuing on in our series, looking through the book of Ephesians, going on exploration through Ephesians. And Ephesians really has been, hasn't it been like climbing a mountain? It's, it's the peak. People call it, you know, theologians over the years have called it the Alps of theology. They've called it the, the peak of Pauline um, doctrine and theology because he's not writing to fix a problem. He's just writing in the book of Ephesians to talk about what it means to be Christian. And so today as we move forward in our explanation of, of Ephesians, we're going, to, we're going to do something we've not done yet in this, in this book. We're going to jump a section of scripture. And the reason we're going to do that is because I want to save the next section we're going to come to for next Sunday, for Veterans Day. Um, normally what we've done, we've done something different on Veterans Day. But this year I really felt that just compelled to stay with Ephesians and to focus on a particular section of Scripture, talking about the pathway to peace. I was thinking of it in this way. Normally when we have something with veterans, um, we think about war. But I don't think there's anybody who loves peace more than somebody who's seen war. And so next week, I think the most appropriate message we could talk about is the Lord's pathway to peace. And so we're going to do that next week. So for today, we're going to jump ahead in a few minutes. We're going to get to the section, but we're going to look at, jump ahead to chapter 2 of Ephesians, verses 18 through, 20, through 22, and we'll read that. Um, but first, let's understand the context around these verses before we read 18 to 22 of chapter 2. This entire paragraph that we come to, that we'll do part of it next week and part of it this week, of verses 11 through 22 deal with one main issue, the bringing together of Jews and Gentiles into one group. You see, from the biblical perspective, when Paul is writing this, at that point in history, the way he would have looked at life, and really the way God looked at life, um, was that there was really only two divisions of people on the entire planet. You had Jews and you had Gentiles. And those two groups were completely separate. And we're gonna, a part of what we're going to look at next week is kind of talking about those two groups being separate. So we have two totally separate groups. But God, through Jesus, changes all that. He made it possible for the two groups to be united into one new group, and now they're brothers and sisters in Christ. Now what God really did, when he, when he did that, and again, we're going to look at more depth last, next week, what he really did was to create a new third group made up of everyone who has received new life in Christ. This new group is called Christians. Did you know that you're in this new third race? This group is intended by God to be be something that never had been seen in the world before. Intended by God to be united. A group of people united without division. People from every ethnic and social and geographical group of the world. United into one new family, the family of God. And every member of the group having this common Heritage, And this is the heritage that every single person who names himself a Christian has. They were sinners. They have been saved by grace. And now they're called children of God. They were sinners. They have been saved by grace. And now they're children of God. So, so now there is this new group, one new race, no longer divided as Jews and Gentiles, but united together as Christians. And Paul wants us to really grasp what this is, what it, what it means for us to be united together as Christian people. So in the text we're going to look at, he's, he parks here for a little while, and he, I think what he's doing is he's trying to figure out what word pictures can I use to try to describe to the people in Ephesus and to us 2,000 years later what it means for us to be united together in the family of God. And so he comes up with three images 
that describe this new race of people, this new united race of people called Christians. And that's what we find in Ephesians 2, 18 to 22. Him talking about giving some word pictures to describe what it is that we are part of now, that we are unified in the church of Jesus Christ. So look with me in chapter 2 of Ephesians, starting in verse 18. For through him, we bo- let, me, let me mention something. Last week I said something that may have confused some of you. I got to a, a section of scripture like this and I said, and through him, and I said, is, your, is him capitalized there? And you all went, yeah. And some of you came up to me after church and said, no. Um, certain translations, um, when they translate the, the scriptures, uh, for, for instance, first came up to me as a, as a NIV Bible, and they don't translate it exactly the same grammatically. And so like in my Bible, New American Standard, it says, for through him, and him is capitalized, because it's referring to God. If you're reading an NIV, it's not capitalized, probably even in this text, because it's a, it's a pronoun, and they would say you don't, pro, you don't do a pronoun, capitalize it. But in the translation, they're trying to say it's talking about God. So, verse 18. That clarified for some of you last week who said, you came up to me after church and said, how come mine's not capitalized, and you said it was. Okay. So, for through him, and is it capitalized? Yes, for a lot of us, because it's indicating God. For through him, Jesus, we both have our access in one spirit to, a, to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints. And, and he, he says in another place in the book of Philippians, Paul says it like this, a little bit, a little bit different, maybe a little clearer. He says, our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, not only are we citizens together, but, but we're citizens bound even in another, in another uh, type of a kingdom. We're citizens of, of heaven. We are citizens of God's kingdom. And that unites us together. Because, because we are citizens of God's kingdom, we have some things in common. We have a common experience. We're sinners saved by grace. We have a common uh, allegiance. We're dedicated to loving and serving and living with the Lord Jesus Christ. We have a common goal. We have the goal to bring glory to Jesus and to God the Father. We have a common destination. It said in Philippians, heaven. All these things unify us. So let's ask ourselves this question. As Paul was saying, I want you to understand what it means to be part of this unified kingdom of God. What is he trying to communicate to us in this idea of citizenship? What's the, you know, what, what does this image teach us about our Christian life? And I think this is what he wants us to get. We belong. That we all have a place where we belong. In a world that, that separates people, a world that doesn't oftentimes include people, in the kingdom of God, we belong. And child of God, you need to understand, if you're a, if you're a Christian, you belong. You're part of a community. You never need to feel alone. And Paul's saying that, listen, when you become a child of God, you're a citizen of heaven. And that's the first image he uses. But then he wants to go beyond that and go, you know, not only are you a, a citizen of heaven and you belong, but let me give you another, another image. He says, let me throw another thing at you that says what it means to belong. So let's look at Paul's next image. He says, yeah, you're a citizen, but then he goes on. And he says, not only are you a citizen, he gives a second image. He says, we are God's family. Let's remember that each of these images intended to shed additional light on what it means to be united together as Christians. And here he goes, okay, you are citizens, that means something. But family means even something more. We are God's family. 
See, Christians aren't only citizens of God's kingdom, they're also members of God's family. In verse 19, he says, we are of God's household. That's, what, that's his family. We're all the same household. Citizenship might be great. Singing, I'm proud to be an American, might be great. But you know what? Citizenship might be great, but family is greater. And that's the point he's trying to make here. Christians are family because we all have the same father. Matter of fact, tell the person next to you. Say, you know what? We're family. We've got the same dad. We do. We've got the same father. Matter of fact, you could say, not only that, you're kind of good looking because you look like your father and so do I. Christians are family because we have the same father. Think of it. In the Lord's Prayer, it starts off by expressing our union together under a common father. It says, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. God doesn't waste words when he inspired scripture. Notice what it does not say. He did not say, pray this way. My Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Now, let me ask you this question. If you're like me, I pray through the Lord's Prayer every day. Have for years. I'm almost every time, 99% of the time, I'm completely alone when I'm praying through the Lord's Prayer. And I'm praying, Mark's praying. And I'm praying for the situations in my life. And when Jesus said to teach me how to pray, in the same section where he said, get alone in your prayer closet and pray, it's the same section. He says, pray, not my Father, but our Father. He's trying to get us to understand something. That even when you're alone, you're part of something. You're part of family. We have a common Father. That it's our Father who art in heaven, not my Father who art in heaven. Church, today, this morning, this is supposed to be a family reunion. That's what church is. It's a family reunion. Our Father has brought us together. That's what Paul's trying to get us to understand, the the glory of being in Christ. That we are united with a common Father. And when you come together today, it's a family reunion. Now, you know this, when you go to family reunions, sometimes things go easy and sometimes things don't. Right? And so even in the church world, sometimes things go easy and sometimes things don't. But you know what? We're family. That's what we are. And I wonder, do we really see each other like this? Or do we come with our own little family and we pray, my father and my family, and then we come together as my little family and we, or my little family and a group of other little families, He's trying to say, no, it's not really what it's all about. It's our Father, and this is a family reunion. Do we really see each other as family members united together? Do we see other Christians from other churches like this? You might be able to say, I really love my church. Matter of fact, here's my, here's my plan for February. We're going to take a break from Ephesians, and I'm going to preach a, a series on I love my church because you, we all love our church. Why do we love our church? February is the love month, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about what's, what's great about what God is doing and just what we're, what we're trying to accomplish as a church. And so it's okay sometimes, it's easy sometimes to say, I love my church. But do we look at other Christians from other churches? The one right down the street, this way or that way? We have churches on either side of us, you know that? I can think of a rock almost that hit the one on that side. And I can take my bow and hit the one on that side, maybe, or at least a gun. 
you know. And But do we look at them the same way and say, our Father who art in heaven, we're brothers and sisters in Christ, we're united? Do we see other Christians from other races like this, that we understand that we're united? That other Christians, who people who call themselves you know, um, followers of Jesus, and they legitimately have given life to Christ, and they're from different ethnic groups, and they, they might worship different and do things different. Do we look at them and understand that they're brothers and sisters in Christ because we have a common father? Well, that's what Paul is trying to get us to do here. He's trying to get us to understand this, that we Christians are family. And, and here's, the, here's the point, and again, because I had to jump ahead a week, I'm a little out of order to be able to use what I would have said the week before to deal with this, but here's the deal. It says in the setting of his concept of saying that God could unify Jews and Gentiles. And he's basically saying this, if God could bring Jews and Gentiles together as a family, then anyone can be united together in Christ. That's really the context he's talking about here. He's saying if these two groups who hate each other can be brought together, that surely in the family of God, anybody can be brought together. It's why Jesus said something very unique about the church. He said that the world would know we are his disciples by our great music that we play on Sunday mornings. Right? No. Thank you for shaking your heads no. By creative preaching or by doing good deeds, the world would know we are disciples because we fill lots of shoeboxes up with toys for little kids and send them around the world. No. The world would know we're disciples by our love for one another. Our love within this body. That this is like a family reunion, and this is not like a family reunion of the family reunions I was raised in, where none of us were believers. Where Grandpa would get drunk, all the guys would play sheephead, and finally Grandpa would be cussing at everybody because somebody didn't write the right card, and everybody's screaming at each other. That's my concept of family reunion. That's not this family reunion. This family reunion is we've got a common father. And we have a common heritage. We were sinners. We're saved by grace. And now we're brothers and sisters in Christ. That's how the world will know that we're his disciples. It's because of our love for one another. It's what makes us different. Dissimilar people united together as family under the same father. That's why the Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy, the, the, a young man who was his, his protege, a man he was forming in ministry, and he said this about how you would relate within the local church. He says, Timothy, relate to older men as fathers and treat younger men as brothers and older women as mothers and younger women as sisters. He's saying this, listen, we're family. This is a family reunion. And so what is, if, if, the, you know, if he's trying to tell us in the first illustration we belong, what's he trying to tell us in the second image of the of the kingdom of god what's he trying to teach us about here being family i think it's this word it's intimacy he's saying family represents a deep intimacy we aren't just friends we're not just fellow citizens we are family and blood is thicker than water and we have the real blood the blood of christ so as a family of god we care for one another we help one another. We're long-suffering with one another because we are family. So Paul's trying to get us to understand, yes, here, all, all these things, we're, we're, we're citizens, we're family. And then he goes on to, the, to a third image here and tries to explain what it means to be part of the, the family of God. And this, this third image um, he wants to talk about is found in verses 20 to 22. And let's, let's re- remind ourselves what that says. Having been built... 
on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God by the Spirit. So it's the third word picture that he's trying to use to describe what the kingdom, what the family of God is like. It's the third image of God's temple. Paul says here, as Christians, we are built together as a building. We're built together as God's temple. And Paul's point, as he's doing this here, he points out, unlike the other two where he just says, your family or your citizens, here he talks about the temple and he says, there's even three elements about the temple that you need to understand. He points out these elements that bring us all together. He says, first of all, in this temple of God that we're being built into, there's a foundation. He says the foundation is the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And those are, you know what a foundation of a building is? That if we just built this building and just put up these walls and just did it on the dirt, what would happen? It'd tip, it would sag, the walls would break, it wouldn't work. You need a solid, the foundation is the, is the concrete footings that are put around the outside of the building to, to hold it is. And he says, listen, this temple we're being built into has a foundation, and it's the apostles and the prophets. Those are the ones who heard from God and gave us God's word. So the foundation of the temple is the message that they gave to us, which is the word of God. The temple's foundation is God's word. The church stands or falls in its regard to the word of God. Friends, if you tamper with or ignore God's word, which is meant to unify us in our understanding of God himself, and to unify us in our understanding of God's ways or how we should act in this world towards ourselves and other people and the world around us, if you, if you don't have that solid foundation that unifies us and are thinking about that, what you have, that building you have, begins to crumble. And honestly, I think it's what we're seeing today in the church, that there's just a disregard for the word of God. And so the church world is suffering. It's crumbling slowly. The walls are sagging. The walls are coming down. The ceiling is, is coming down because the walls are it's, it's falling apart because of a disregard for the word of God. See, God has given us his word so that we have a common foundation to stand on. Remember, everything here is about unifying us. You must look at that. It's the overarching idea here. So how does the Word of God unify us? He's given us the Word of God so we have a common foundation to stand upon. So we can say, what happens sometimes in a family is this. We say, well, I think this, and you say, well, I think that. We have something greater than that. We say, but God's Word says this. And that's what determines what's right and what's wrong. It's not about what I think. It's not about what you think. It's about what God says. That makes sense? You see how that unifies us? So it's not about me arguing my point, you arguing your point. We just say, what's God have to say about it? And that unifies us around God's word. So he says the first part here, that's the first part. The second part, of, the, of after the foundation is the apostles and prophets, the second part of the temple, he says, is the cornerstone. And the cornerstone, he says, is Jesus himself. Have you ever wondered what it means by that? Because there's a number of times in the New Testament and prophecies in the Old Testament that refers to Jesus as the cornerstone. Have you ever thought about that and said, what in the world does that mean? Let me explain the imagery. In biblical times, many of the buildings were built um, by cut, of cut stone. You know, we use lumber and concrete floors and, and uh, drywall, but back then their, their buildings most of the time were, were out of stone that they cut and they squared off, and that's what they used like, for building blocks. And a cornerstone was this large, solid, squared-off stone that was placed in the corner 
where two walls would come together. And what that stone did is it unified and stabilized those two walls. It's where they came and they joined together. By unifying two intersecting walls, this cornerstone helped align the whole building. Everything worked off of that corner. And it tied everything together. It was a solid base that united the walls. And they got those walls got their strength and their stability from that cornerstone. And Paul says Jesus is the cornerstone of Christian unity. He is the one who aligns and ties us all together. So you can remove a lot of things from our Christian experience and still have Christianity. We don't have to meet in a building that has crosses in it. We don't have to meet in a building that has places for you to sit. Matter of fact, we don't have to have a building at all, and we can still be Christian. We don't have to sing songs and still be Christian. We don't have to have clergy, staff. And we can still be Christian, but we must have the cornerstone to be Christian. We must have that unifying thing that holds us all together, and that must be Jesus. See, Jesus is the point of origination and strength of our existence. So, so that's, that's who Jesus is, that he, he unifies us together. But there's one more element in this temple that God is building. We have a foundation, we have a cornerstone, but we have something else in the temple. We have the, the things that actually build the walls, the building blocks. And it says here, the building blocks are you and me. That's what verse 21 and 22 we just read said, that we are the building blocks. We form the walls of the new unified temple. See, when we come to Christ, God breathes life into, our, into dead people. We talked about that a few weeks ago when we turn to him and, and we become living stones that he uses to build his temple. Each unique stone being fit together by God himself to build this beautiful temple. Listen to how Peter says this in the, in the, God, in, in the letter that they wrote to First Peter. Turn to First Peter to chapter 2. This is talking about you and me. First Peter chapter 2 verses 4 and 5 says this. And coming to him as to a living, to a living stone, which, he has, which has been rejected by men, but is a choice and precious in the sight of God, you also, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Look at that, verse 5. You also, as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house. You're being built, constructed, put together for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Friends, we are God's building material. He crafts us to fit perfectly into his beautiful temple. To, for what? To minister, it says there, to God himself. So what does this image Teach us about our Christian life. Teach us this, friends. You have a purpose. God chose you and he's shaping you as a living stone for his temple. And you have an eternal purpose. So God builds this beautiful temple with Jesus as the cornerstone. And the teaching of the apostles and the prophets as the foundation that holds it all up and solid. And you and me as the stones in the walls he's building. But then we've got to ask ourselves. For what purpose? So that people can drive by and go, 
oh, look at that beautiful, that beautiful temple. No, it can't be that because you can't really see it the same way you see a building. What's the purpose? The answer is in verse 22. Look at what it says. To become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. The awesome thing that holds us all together is the spirit of God. God doesn't live in the tabernacle in the wilderness anymore. He doesn't live in a temple in Jerusalem anymore. He lives in his people. He lives in his church. People who have come to know him as Savior and Lord. And Christian, you are the dwelling place of the Spirit of God. And get this. This is the point of chapter, verse 22. And his presence is multiplied as we live together in unity. Matter of fact, not next week, but the weekend after, I'm going to preach on that whole sermon, on that one idea right there. That his presence is multiplied as we live together in unity. You need to understand something here. A little side note. That's why Satan works so hard to bring disunity to the body of Christ. Because it squelches the activity of the Holy Spirit. God's plan is that as we are unified together, the level of spiritual activity and presence is, is, is multiplied as we come together. As people who have the Spirit of God within us, unified together as Christians in this wonderful thing called the temple he's building us into, that then the, the presence of the Holy Spirit, the reality, the activity of the Holy Spirit is intensified. It's multiplied, friends. When we all come together, filled with his Spirit, we will be the world-changing, life-giving church that God intends, this beautiful temple of worship and healing and salvation, a place where when you come to baptize somebody and they have a broken hand and we say, church, we should just pray that that hand won't be broken when you go back to the doctor. And no man gets the credit and no person did anything other than say, God, would you do it? And that person goes to the doctor. And they come back and they go, I don't know what's going on, but your hand was broken and it's not anymore. You know why? Because of the unity that exists in the body of Christ. That's his point. The activity of the Holy Spirit is multiplied when the unity of the body of Christ is elevated. So Paul says, let me, he's so intent on trying to get this, he says, let me give you three word pictures in this one little paragraph. Three different things that the people back then would clearly understand what he's saying. Who you are, what these things mean. He says, you're citizens of God's kingdom. You belong. You're members of God's family. There's intimacy together. You're stones in God's temple. You have a purpose. All unified together all unified and filled with the very spirit and life of God. He says, that's my plan. That's God's plan for his church. That that's what we would be. Here as a local church, and us as, as the community of church, that we would be this great family of God. Not fighting with each other. Friends, the greatest thing the enemy will want you to do is, you say, you know, when I, when, in February, the reason I've held off from doing what I want to do in February is when I say I love my church, you could then take the next step and say, and I don't love your church. No. I love this church because God put me here. And I love that church for them. That church for them. But it's all about unity, because as we unify, there's a multiplication of the Spirit's presence in in our presence. And then guess what happens? God just heals broken hands. 
and whatever else. God leads your lost children into the faith because they come in and they go, wait a minute, I used to come to church and it was a bunch of squabbling. Now I come to church and there's this unified great group of people and I figure out that I belong and there's this incredible intimacy and all these people have a sense of purpose that, hey, this is just what God said it's supposed to be. And as that happens, lives are changed. And that's what we want, right? Why don't you stand with me this morning? I want to just end by thanking God for being so incredibly good to us. Would you join me in prayer this morning? Father, thank you so much for no, no reason of ourselves that you call us by name. You bring us into your family. You make us citizens in your kingdom. And you build us together in this incredible temple called the church. And Father, I would pray for every person in this place that God, as we live and move and breathe in you, that God, these things would become more real in our lives. And God, as a church, that these things would be expressed in ways that are real and tangible. So that, God, as we're unified together, that, Lord, you would do things in our lives and in this community, in our families that we never, we hoped for, but inside of our hearts somehow we never really thought we could even believe for. But God, it's all tied to you. And so we pray, Jesus, as we surrender to you, as was said throughout the service, an act of our will, to surrender to you, to give it all to you, that Lord Jesus that you would bind us together and as we walk in love and unity there would be such an incredible outpouring of your spirit that none of us would be the same and God we know that's your plan and so we just say God help us to walk with you in the development of your plan and God I pray for every person in this place that no matter what they're going through today, no matter what obstacle they're facing, that they would understand that you are greater, you are better, and you are able. And so God, we would you just encourage their faith to, to trust in you. We love you, Jesus. Just a moment as the worship team begins to pray, play rather. You will be dismissed. You can be feel free to, to go and have a great day in Jesus. But if you want prayer this morning, as they begin to worship, I'll be down here. Pastor Chris will be down here. We'd love to just pray with you and pray for you. If there's anything at all that you need prayer for. God bless you, friends. Have a wonderful day in Jesus.